All right, so let's, let's get into Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Uh, let's talk about this subject. We're going to actually read the same text we had last week with a couple additional verses. Uh, we're going to talk about our rescuer. We're going, to, we're going to look into this story, and we're going to see specifically how God rescues Elijah and hope for him to do the same for ourselves. Our rescuer. Come on, uh, let's read verse 1. And actually, I got a lengthy text, so just kind of lock in with me, and we'll follow along on the screen here. You got those there? But listen, listen real closely. I'm not going to be able to talk all the details of the story. There's still tons here. We, we covered this some last week, but I just wasn't really satisfied with where we left it, uh, which I'm hardly ever satisfied with where we leave everything. I still have another two hours to talk about every time I quit. So y'all think I'm long. I think I went too short all the time because I have two more hours in my head. You know what I'm talking about? I know we got fried chicken waiting on us, so I can't go that far. All right, verse number one, 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. What had he had just done? Mount Carmel, right? The fire came down from heaven. God answered Elijah's prayer. And, he, and Elijah went, and since we're going to serve God now, let's follow his law. So he took the 450 prophets of Baal out and executed them according to the law of God for all of those who lead the people astray into idolatry. That was what the word says, the law of Moses. He told Elijah, Elijah, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow this time. And when he saw that, he, Elijah, arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said this, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no longer or no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. So he's in a real difficult place. He just ready to quit, end it all. Then he looked, and there by his head was a, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he, Elijah, arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, when he heard that still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, a show of respect kind of thing, 
And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, ask the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. All right, Lord, thank you for your word. Pray you'd make it bread for us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's, let's kind of pull this apart and see how God rescues and restores. Aren't you glad that he does that? Anybody have a rescue or restoration story with God? I mean, rescue and restoration is his specialty. That's really what he does. And we're going to look into this story and kind of see how God brings Elijah out of this deep, dark hole that he's in. He's in a really, really dark place. You heard it. He, he, he says, Lord, is it not enough? I wish you would just take my life. You know, Elijah didn't assume that he had the authority to take his own life. He just wanted to quit and end it all. He said, Lord, let's just, let's just call it quits right here. What, everything I've done to this point has not turned out the way I had hoped. Now, in a world that's gone wrong, it's a difficult thing to do God's business. It really is. This is a tough business we're in as being Christians and being salt and light in a world that really doesn't want it or appreciate it oftentimes. And, and to make it even worse, we're not always in the spirit all the time, are we? We're not always strong and courageous uh, the way Joshua seemed to be at times. We're not always the people we need to be. And it's just, just reality. We're not always up for the task sometimes. And in a world where Jezebel, she owns the airwaves, she owns the media, she owns the education system, evil speaks out loud and proud. And it's oftentimes hard as Jezebel is filling everybody's ear with all kinds of nonsense, it's often hard to hear the still small voice of the shepherd. You know what I'm talking about. So we go through seasons and times of fear and disappointment and calamity, and, and discouragement, and all the despair that tends to pl plague all of us. You know, with the things that's going on in our nation right now, I, I can just be real honest with you. My, some days I feel really great about it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great, and we're going to pull through this. Other days, I, I want to just throw up. I, it just sickens my soul so much. You know what I'm talking about? 
I, I, I try to stay off the roller coaster, but sometimes, you know, it's just where we are. It's just where we live. Uh, one of the first things I want you to see here, we talked a little bit about last week, the, the tenderness of God. I mean, Elijah's not in a good place. He's not even in the right place. Because, you know, whenever God asks you, what are you doing here? He's not wanting information. He's basically saying, you're not where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here? You know, it's like when you catch a kid doing something. What are you doing? You're not really looking. You're seeing what they're doing. You know exactly what they're doing. All you want is some honesty and openness and confession and for them to get out of there. Right? <laughs> Whatever it is. The tenderness and patience and care of God is just, it, it, it's, it's amazing in this story because here's a truth. When we give up, God does not. Can you say it with me? When we give up, God does not. He does not give up on us. You know that? I mean, his patience, I, I just have my testimony in this more than any, any of y'all's, but his patience over my life has absolutely astounded me. I wouldn't be this patient. I would have had a lightning bolt reserved for me a long time ago. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In fact, I got a few for some other folks too. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but when we give up, God does not quit. And it's amazing that Elijah is on the wrong side of the country. He's supposed to be in the north. He has made his way all the way to the south, some 200 plus miles or so. We, we talked about, showed you the map last week. Some 200 plus... But God has been with him going the wrong direction every step of the way. Now, that's, am that's amazing to me because I grew up with the mindset. I don't know who taught it to me. May I just picked it up myself. That if I do right and if I always stay on the right, God will always be with me. Now, that's not always a bad way to think. You don't need to test and tempt the Lord your God. You don't need to press the, the envelope on things. But I found out the opposite in my journey, that even when I've gotten off track and even when I have gone astray in my own faith, in my own ways, and in my own temptations and sins, whenever I have gone astray, I woke up and guess who was right there with me? Sometimes not even wanted, actually. And sometimes His presence is quite haunting. Anybody know about that haunting Holy Ghost kind of thing where God actually haunts you and, and you can't even have a good time doing what you used to have a good time doing anymore because good time's gone because He's there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> ah. God was with him every step of the way. We, we, he quit, but God didn't quit him. I, I got a testimony like that. I quit, but God didn't quit me, and I'm glad. Because I, 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 I get to talking to people about this. It seems like almost everybody, every person of faith has a story like this. There was a season in my life where I lost my way, I quit, and I found God to be faithful even when I was not. Anybody know that story? <laughs> yeah. So God remains faithful because of His character and not just our behavior. I like that. That helps me. That helps me a lot. You see, God is love, and Jesus is the proof. You know that? And Jesus says this. He, he says, this is a wonderful promise. You, you just remember this. If you're in covenant with God, you just remember this. Jesus has made a promise and sealed it with his own life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can, can you say it with me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's not me to him. That's him to me. It's a big difference. 
I will never leave you. And, he, and he's wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up with us. In fact, he's tied up his whole reputation even with us, which is kind of scary responsibility. He'll never leave us, nor forsake us, even if we go through those dark valleys of death. He's with us. And see the wisdom of God in this. We, we learn a lot about ministering to people in crisis, and, and a lot of times that's part of my job and what I do. Um, and, and us as believers, sometimes people in crisis tend to find us. They, 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 there's, there's this attraction that they have, and it's the Holy Spirit in you that attracts them. And, and they just begin, anybody know that just some people just walk up to you and just start talking about their life and their troubles? Anybody like that? It just happens. I, I've painted a bunch of houses for a living, and I, I, I always thought that paint has, is like truth serum. You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you start getting that smell of paint throughout the house, and people just start talking about their whole life. And it's like... I'm, I'm not comfortable anymore. You know what I'm talking about? But we, we can learn a lot right here. God ministers to Elijah in a holistic way. He ministers to his body, his soul, and his spirit. Now, that's interesting to me. I, I didn't always have that perspective in life. I, I was one of these, uh, everything's spiritual, and everything's because you may, may have committed a sin. I was kind of one of those guys at one point in time. But as I've gotten some age on me and some, some, some understanding and experience and a lot of failure in, in helping folks, I've learned that the best way to minister to people is oftentimes in a holistic manner. Because, see, we're not just a spirit. We, we are a soul and we have a body. You understand that? And not to break all this down too, too much, but, but just listen. God works in every single part of us to redeem every single part of us. Your body is important to God. And in fact, he says it like this. He doesn't say your spirit is the temple of God. You know what he says? He says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of God. Your, your body, your physical body. In fact, God thinks so much about your body that he has made a way to resurrect your body when he returns. He's going to redeem every single part of you, not just your spirit and forgive your sins and not just renew your mind and help you think better. But God has a plan for every part of you because when Jesus died, he paid for every bit of you. Every part of you, even the physical part. So this, this helps me because I think oftentimes we just approach things one dimensionally when we have crises and difficulties and problems. You've got the body crowd, the people that just want to just take care of the body. You know, you know what you need to do. You need to exercise. That's a bad word. <laughs> you need to lose weight. Duh. You know, you go to the doctor and he tells you, you you need to lose 40 pounds. All right. I paid you $85. Tell me that. Really? Really, man. We're about to go at it. <laughs> I knew that coming in. Anyway, you, you got to, we need to eat better. We need to take this pill or this medicine. And, and, you know, a lot of our medical science is geared just towards this one dimensional aspect of the body. And if you've got a depression or you've got something else, what they minister to is not your soul and not your spirit, but they minister directly to your body and say, hey, you know what? you got a chemical imbalance. If we can get that right, your life's going to be great again. Well, that's a little simplified, isn't it? We're a little bit more complicated than just being a body. And then you've got the other folks that's just soul issues. They, they just, they just kind of go at it from the soul. We just need to talk it out. Or maybe you need to see a therapist. And, and we have psychologists who help, and I'm for everybody who helps. Uh, we, we have folks that say, hey, what, what you need to do, I got a good book. You need to read this. Or you need to, to meditate a little bit more. You need to get into some solitude or you need to get your emotions under control. And that's the soul people. They, they, a lot of folks just minister in that particular direction. But that, that in itself is just not enough. 
Because the body and soul are tied up together. And I know we teach it separate. Like you got a body, you, you have a soul, and you are a spirit. We teach it separate. But when God twined it all together, he twined all those three as a trinity into one. And that one is you. And it takes all of you. And then you got the spiritual crowd, which is kind of where I've majored in most of my life. That You know what your problem is? You're not reading your Bible enough. You know what your problem is? You don't come to worship enough. You know what your problem is? You need to confess your sins or, or you need to pray more. You need to, to, to sing more. You need to do all these things that exercise your spirit. Now, which one of those is right? Should we focus on the body? Should we focus on the soul? Or should we just focus on the spirit? Well, what we're going to see with Elijah, God focuses on all three. He brings a holistic, that's what I mean by holistic. He brings a whole person approach and says, you know what? You may have a sin problem, but you, right now, you know, you've got a physical problem you need to address. And we'll get to this. See, the people with the physical focus don't go deep enough. The people with the spiritual focus don't, know, don't go broad enough often. Because you are a complicated dude. You know that? Not to mention the women. Now, y'all are, y'all are complicated. <laughs> watch it. Somebody said, watch it. See, there it is right there. You heard who spoke up. No. <laughs> I mean, we are complicated as people. We are really. In fact, you and I are the most complicated of all of God's creations. And it's amazing. I mean, look up in the heavens and all the, the solar systems and all that. You and I, with all of our body systems and all of our mind and all the, the... I mean, your mind is the greatest supercomputer. I mean, I know it's got rust kicking out of your ears sometimes, but it is the greatest supercomputer on this planet. I mean, they can't create a machine that can do what the human mind can do. They're trying. It's what the artificial intelligence is about. But they can't do it. But you know why? It's so complicated. And you're carrying that brain around with you. And sometimes hadn't even turned it on until 10 o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> so let's look at some things here. Let's look at some, just some faith lessons. We're just going to kind of go through these pretty quickly. And uh, let's just see how God ministers to Elijah. The first thing he does, this is faith lesson number one. Sometimes you need a good rest and a good meal. You know that? What is the first thing that God does for Elijah? I mean, he's in the middle of a wilderness. He's already ran about 60 miles or so. He's given up. He's left his servant and resigned his position, basically. He's vocalized, I quit, pretty much. And he's laid down and he collapses. And what is the first thing God does for Elijah? He feeds him. An angel comes and touches him, just kind of like touches him. Just kind of like, I'm here. And then he cooks for him. You know what they say, a way to a man's heart is what? Is right through his stomach, right? That, there's a lot of truth to that. And, and God literally cooks for him. What does that tell us a little bit about this? That what happened with Elijah, that he physically was exhausted. And God nurtured him physically. I mean, I mean you know what half of us would have done? Half of us preachers would have come over to Elijah, kicked him in the side and said, man, get up. What are you doing here? You know what? Jezebel can't kill you. You should not be afraid. You are the prophet of God. You just called down fire from him. Get, get, get yourself up out of here. That's what half of us would have done. But God didn't do that. Hmm. And sometimes this kind of physical start is a little bit too carnal for some of the spiritual crowd. But a good rest and a good nap are sometimes 
some of the most holy things you can do. Really. I'm not kidding you. Because what, really, what happens when you get hungry and when you get tired? You know, I, hey, d- does anybody have this experience like I have? Whenever I go shopping and there are vast amounts of money leaving my pocket, I get absolutely famished. I mean, I get hungry as I'll get out. I mean, I, I have to carry something with me when I go shopping or, or buy something right there. Anybody like me that just, you, you, and when you go shopping, it just like drains you. It's just like, it's like, it's like your life just, color just comes right out of you. Any guys like that in the house, just go shop. I mean, just, just mail it to me. Get me a blue. I don't really care. It don't really matter to me. I really don't want to be here. But I, I do, baby. It's okay. I, I go with you. I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm there for you. <laughs> but when, when I, and then when I get hungry, Oh, Lord. Anybody get irritable when they get hungry? I mean, it's not just like, we should just pull over, honey, and get us something to eat. It, I mean, you say something. Turn the radio down. That's loud. What you talking to yourself about? What you doing? Uh, y'all be quiet back there. I mean, ain't nobody said nothing in 10 minutes. I mean, you get irritable, don't you? What they, there's a word we've come up with is that it, it's not just hungry, but you're hangry. Isn't that a word we've come up with? We just jammed up because when I get hungry, I get angry. Well, when you get tired, we, we could all follow you home and stay at your house till about 9 o'clock tonight and, and you know, the real you will show up. Not the church going you, but the real you. you. When you get tired, you get a little bit testy, don't you? We all do, just to let you off the hook. We all do. So God knows this, so he lets him just rest. He lets him rest. And he builds him a campfire. You know something about a campfire? Nice little bonfire, campfire. That's a nice little thing, you know. I mean, it's something about a fire that just takes you back to just primal instincts and just refreshes your soul, doesn't it? I like that. I mean, it, I just like a good meal. Sometimes you just need a good meal. You need to go out to a restaurant, eat your favorite food, drink your favorite beverage, have a good time, have a good meal, and let it nourish your physical body. Sometimes that's real important. Take a good walk. Read a good book. Take some time out. God ministers to his prophet in a physical way. You wouldn't expect that from him, would you? I mean, you really wouldn't expect that from God, for God to take his time and make this boy an angel food cake and give it to him. Hmm. Let's go to the second one. I, I got to keep it moving here. The second idea here is Remember. We need to take time to remember because we are a people who are prone to forget. And I'm talking about forget the goodness of God. Now, the bread and the water, that's a clue in the story. Have, have we seen bread and water in the Elijah story already? Where, where have we seen some miracles with bread and water? Where have we seen that? Anybody? Y'all been in this with me now? Are we going to sit here? All right, class. Where have we seen bread and water in miracle form in Elijah's story? The lady, the widow, remember the widow? God blessed that, and the oil and the, and the bread continued to flow, and, and must have been some water there too. What, where else? Where else have we seen bread and water? At the brook, remember? Where the ravens brought him bread every morning and fed him, and brought him bread every evening and fed him, and he drank from the brook. So here, here's, a, here's a clue right here. When it says that God brought him bread and water, I believe that this miracle was to trigger his faith. It was to take him back and trigger his history with God and bring the faithfulness of God back to his mind. 
The tragedy is, is that he was so dark and down, he had basically forgotten. Why is it that hard times give us spiritual amnesia? I mean, we, we start singing to God, what have you done for me lately? You know, that kind of thing. That's what we do. <laughs> do, 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 do. You know, <laughs> anyway, that, is that enough? Is there not a lot of 80s folks in here? Y'all don't know. Everybody knows Janet Jackson. Come on now. Y'all know her. Anyway, but we sing that to God. What have you done for me lately? Because it's like we forget our history and our walk and the miracles and all the breakthroughs and, and all the whispers and all the encouragements and all the kindness that God has shown us. We tend to forget. The Bible warns us from time to time. It says that there are two ways, two times that we're really in danger to forget. When things are really good and when things are really bad. The Bible warns us about all of those. Forgetting is a real problem. And that's why every new calamity becomes a freak out time. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus where he's with the disciples. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He has fed 4,000 people with just a few, just a little bit. And, and now he comes into another situation and the disciples kind of freak out. And Jesus looks at them and says, Oh, you of little faith, do you not understand and remember the fish and the loaves? I mean, it was just a few days ago God did a, a miraculous thing and they're holding the fragments of God's miracle in their hands. And yet they come to another crisis point and it's like, What in the world are we going to do? We're lost. Jesus is standing right there. I mean, the guy who did the miracle is standing right there in the crisis. And they freak out. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> We're a lot like that, aren't we? Now, sit, listen to me. In every interaction with God, there is a lesson to be learned. And there's faith that must be deposited in your soul. It's got to be. Or else it's just for naught. You know, it, this, these... These, these memories that we have with God are important to us. In fact, they're so important that Jesus said this over his cross and over this meal that he gives us. You know, he's given us this, this, this small meal for us to come together and eat as a family. It's called communion. We call it Holy Communion. And you know what? The, the one word that he uses to surround this whole meal that we're to eat together is this idea of remember. Jesus says, when you do this... I want you to remember me. Remember me. So that's, that's why we take communion often. We, we, we do it corporately. I, I recommend that you do it personally with, with your family, with your spouse, or maybe just by yourself sometimes. You take some time and, and do it very meaningfully and, and, and slowly and meditatively and to where it's just not just a, a, a quick two-minute type deal where you literally sit down and you just think about what God has done for you. Now I'm talking about think back history-wise, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of the gospel, the story of the cross. Think that. Think that far back too. But also think back into your history. 
To where you remember where God saved you from that and He saved you from this and He brought this into your life and He brought this person into your life. He visited you on your sickbed. He brought this, in, in this peace into your room when you were absolutely ready to end everything. He brought this word to you. This scripture came illuminated to you, showing you things that you never even dreamed about, promising you things that you never even thought could happen in your life. Remember. And as you remember, I mean purposefully remember, Point by point, one by one, week by week, something happens inside of you. Faith begins to increase. It's hmm. a good idea now. Remember, third thing here is seek God with all your heart and you will find Him. I mean, Elijah's in a bad way, going to the wrong place, it seems. And he goes for 40 days and 40 nights on this pilgrimage. He's going to Mount Horeb, which is also known in the Bible as Mount Sinai. It's called the mountain of God. It's like the most important place in the Old Testament. Or one of them anyway. Mount Sinai. That is where Moses received the law. It's where Moses met God, first of all, at the burning bush. It's where Moses received the law and the covenant and brought it to the people. There, that, that's where he went. He went to that place. And what I want you to see is not just the dark side of this. I want you to see the pursuing side of him seeking after God. He went to a place where he said, I need to get away and I need to find God. I am in a bad, bad place. I know I am. I'm not where I need to be. And for 40 days, he sought after God. That's a big deal now. There's not a whole lot of people that can say that about their spiritual journey, that they spent that kind of intense time pursuing God. And I don't even know if you can do that. I mean, you have jobs. None of us could go take a 40-day pilgrimage. But whatever kind of time you have to put into this spiritual journey to find God, put it in, put, put it in with all your heart, will you? If it's a weekend... If it's a day, if it's two hours in the evening after the kids go to bed, if it's early in the morning before everybody gets up, whatever it is that you can do, do it with all your heart and seek God with all of your might. And I promise you, if you do that, you will find it. Amen. Amen. I got a lot more I could say about that. Let me just throw this nugget out there. Read Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is that place on that mountain. I, scholars believe that Elijah may have went to the place where he thought it happened. Remember the place where God hid Moses in, in the rock? Remember that? Where Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I can't let you see me for who I really am, but I will hide you in this rock. And then I will pass in front of you and I'll cause all my goodness to come by you. That's kind of the experience that Elijah's having right here. Go read Exodus 33 and you, you'll, you'll see all that. All right. The fourth thing I want you to see is pour your heart out to God. Now, now we start getting into the soul ministry of the thing. We've seen God minister to his physical body, which was important. Just kind of wake him back up again. Now we're going to see God begin to minister to his soul. And he asked him this probing question. Because anybody knows whenever they do any kind of soul ministry or, or what we call psychology in today's world, any kind of soul ministry is that you start by asking questions because you don't just go charging in. You have to open, let the person open up. So God is wise like that too. He, he's the one that taught us this. And he asked this question, what are you doing here Elijah. Now, was he talking about location? 
Or was he talking about state of mind? Probably what the answer is yes, probably, isn't it? Probably a little bit. What are you doing here, Elijah, in this state of mind? What? Man. He asked him this probing question, and he caused him to start thinking deeply about himself. You know what? I found that most people in difficult, dark places don't think deep enough. That sounds odd to tell a person that's in a dark place to think deeper. But you're probably in a dark place because you haven't hashed out enough, not because you hashed out too much. Your mind tells you it's overloaded. The truth is you hadn't got to the bottom of it yet. That's the truth. And Elijah answers him in a really dark way. You know, I've been very zealous for you, God. The children of Israel have forsaken you. They've torn down your altars. They, and they're trying to kill me too. And I alone am left. He answers in this dark place that's partly true and partly incorrect. And that's why it's so difficult to deal with people because it's hard for us to split those part truths and it's hard for us to get into that part that's incorrect because they're so sold out to it. But God let him talk. Even incorrectly, God let him talk. And then God will correct him later. I think that's important to know. Psalm 62, 8 says this. It's one of my favorite psalms right here. It's kind of where I've learned to pray. Trust in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You see that? I got a little definition right here. It says pour out. It means to intentionally spill it all out. So that's the good stuff. The stuff we're thankful for. That's the bad stuff. Maybe the stuff we've got to repent of. The bad stuff that's coming at me that I don't like. And, and some of that's just the real ugly stuff that's in us. You know what? It's, this is what I've learned about God. And I know so, there, there are places where it's perfectly right for us to give God our best. And we should. And we should do more of that. But God's just not after your best. He's actually after all of you. Which is your best and your worst. You hear me? He even wants to, because see, we only show the bad parts of us to the people that we trust the most. You know what I'm talking about? Because it's real easy. We go into all kinds of places. We all do it. And it's called personality. We put on the front and we show everybody our best foot forward. And if you're on your job, that's the right thing to do. We show it. And when you come to church in public, that's, that's the right thing to do. But God wants to see not just your best parts, but He wants to also see those hidden parts. Those not so good, those sometimes ugly. So we come to God. That's what Elijah does. He just pours it all out. He pours it all out. I recommend you trust God in such a way that you find Him to be a refuge that He can handle whatever you throw at Him. He's got big shoulders. The fifth thing right here, don't put God in a box. Don't put him in a box. God came to Elijah in, in four different ways. A strong wind, an earthquake, and a fire. And then he came in this gentle whisper. Now, if you were to look at these, these, these three things right here, wind, earthquake, and fire, which one of them is Elijah? Which one is he? Which one does he like? Which, one is, which, which manifestation of God does he kind of lean towards? 
I mean, he's a fire guy, isn't he? I mean, he's a fire guy. He called the fire down from heaven. He's going to call fire down on these pagans. He's going to, call, he's going to exit this place in a chariot of fire. I mean, he's a, fire, he's a fiery dude, man. I mean, he is, he is on fire for God, and he's fiery. And he'll tell you how it is. But you know what? God can also come as a wind. That's the day of Pentecost. He, he, he came as a wind there, didn't he? He can also come as an earthquake. He, he, he can shake things up. He really can. He can come in all those ways. But it was a gentle whisper is the point that God wanted to get across to Elijah at that point in time. God heard him in this gentle whisper. See, Elijah was a real dramatic guy. And a lot of, a lot of us are. We like the drama. We like the, the, the audacious things God does to just get everybody's attention. But I found that the most powerful thing that God does that gets our attention the best is his whisper. It's when he speaks. It's his voice. See, God can come to you. See, the point of the story is God doesn't use wind anymore. God doesn't use earthquake. God doesn't use fire. Because I could sit here and give you about six stories of each one that God uses very dramatically in all New and Old Testament. The point is that God doesn't use that. God just speaks to us now in this nice whisper. The point is, Elijah, God can use everything. What I need you to know is my voice is the most important thing you have. That's what I need you to know. It's not just the miracles. We thank God for the miracles. We need them more. It's not just that. The most valuable thing you have, Elijah, is that you can hear my voice. So don't, Elijah, don't put me in your firebox over here and just think I always got to come that way. Because see, that's what we do. We, 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 we put God in a box. We got this version of God we understand. We like. He forgives us. He does all this stuff for us. And we put him in this box. And we got a nice little handle on it. We carry it around. We put God in here. We're taking the work with us. And when we get ready, we'll let him out. Okay, you can come out now. <laughs> well, we put him back in and say, no, it's not time for the God stuff. Let's, let's put him all back. And, and we, we almost act like we can tame God. God is untamable. He's much bigger. He's, he's not a Methodist God. He's not a Baptist God. He's not a Pentecostal God. Those are all just little boxes that we've all created to put him in and say, hey, this is who God is. No, that's who you think he is. He's way bigger. He can be wind, earthquake, fire, and whisper all at the same time. You need to get a hold of that. Don't put him in a box. I'm just going to tell you. God can do stuff. In fact, he did it all throughout the book of Acts in the New Testament church. God can do stuff among us and through us and around us that would make us all scratch our head and go, what in the world? It's called signs and wonders. What's, what's a wonder? Well, we can't explain it. I wonder what that was about. I, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, we need to see God like that at times to where he just blows our box apart and we think it's all nice and neat and tidy and like our little church services, they're all just nice and neat and tidy. We like them. We got them like that for a reason. We like them like that. But there are times where God comes and he can blow the whole roof off the place and say, look, I just showed up how I wanted to. And see, your faith needs to be able to let God do whatever he wants to do. Even beyond your comprehension and understanding. I mean, how, how in the world do you understand a God who turns water to wine? How do you understand that? I mean, I've been studying that in Sunday school. And my biggest deal is, why in the world is that in there? 
That's crazy, ain't it? Uh, what, what, what about a God who, who takes a boy's lunch and then multiplies it out and, fed, and feeds them all? I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy. How do you explain that? They're interviewing you after the miracle. Uh, yes, sir. Were you here at 12 o'clock when Jesus took the bread and held it up to heaven? And can you explain what he did? Uh, uh, oh, he's praying. <laughs> that's all I got. And then he passed it all out to the 5,000 and y'all came back and y'all had all these basketfuls of stuff. Uh, can, you, can you tell me how all of that happened and, he took, and there was more left over than when you started? Uh, boy, we noticed that too. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, you, you need to let God be free and don't put limits on him. Really, get him out of your box. Your box, my box is all too small. Just let him be God. I'm just going to say these couple because I'm running out of time. I really don't want to compliment or comment too much, but listen to this, number five. We must hear God's word in the middle of a very noisy, chaotic world. You've got to hear his voice in the middle of the chaos. The world's not going to shut up so you can have your quiet time. It's just not. Jezebel speaks loud. God has this gentle whisper. I got to move on. Let let me go to number six. We need to spend more time on these a little bit later. Number six. For Elijah and for us. Listen, God is working in ways you cannot see or understand. Elijah said, I alone am left. I am the sole representative. I'm the only one in the whole place doing the right thing. And see, this is where God let him vent. He let him vent. But then he said, "Uh, uh, I got to say something about that now. I've got 7,000 people you don't even know about who are just like you, and some of them may be a little better than you. They haven't bowed, and they haven't kissed Baal. So God's working in, in ways. He's working with people. He's working in people's lives in ways you and I don't understand. And faith is believing that God is at work even when we can't see him. We just sang that song, didn't we? We sang that, those verses. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Hmm. It's a crazy season in our nation. It it looks like evil's prevailing. That's all you hear. But faith tells me that God's working, even if I don't know it. You hear me? The last of it all. The last faith lesson of chapter 19 that we're going to cover. God gave him someone to minister to. Elijah needed to come out of this dark, dead, black hole he was in. And what God did, God gave him someone to raise up in the faith. Now think about that. Now now we get to the spiritual part. God's taking care of his body. He's, He's ministered to his soul. Now he's going to get him back to the spiritual work of the kingdom business. And you would think that God would send Elijah someone to pour into him since he was in such a bad place. But here's the secret of the kingdom. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That is a real big secret of the kingdom. I hope you've discovered some of that. I would rather any day be on the giving end than the getting in. It's better on the giving end, ain't it, Bubba? It's better when you're able to give. God gave him someone to pour into. And now, now think about this. We're going to read these couple verses. 
Think about how this must have refreshed Elijah. Now, it, it changed Elisha, the, the Elisha guy. It's hard to keep Elijah and Elisha writing the same sentence. You know what I'm talking about? Think about it, it changed Elisha's life. It, it revolutionized his whole life, this calling that's going to come into him. But think about Elijah. We're looking at it from Elijah's perspective. Think of how this must have been so refreshing to him. He's down. He's dark. He doesn't think anybody wants to serve God. God tells him to go to this man's house. Go to his son, Elijah, and tell him he's going to be a prophet. So he does. So Elijah goes to this man's house. He passed by him as he was plowing his field, and he threw his mantle. I don't know, maybe some long coat he had. He threw it upon Elisha, and that was a symbol in those days to say, hey, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to take my mantle upon you. Follow me. I want to be your teacher. And look at what he does. Verse 20. And Elisha left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Now, Elijah just kind of takes a pause right here. Okay, go do what you got to do, man. I, I don't know what, what you do. Because in that culture, that could have meant, okay, when daddy passes and the farm is given back, I'll liquidate it and I'll come follow you. It could have meant it's going to take years. But that wasn't what was in Elisha's heart. Elisha was going in there kissing him, saying goodbye right then. And in verse 21, so Elisha turned back from him and he took a yoke of oxen. Not sure how many. There were 12 plows in the field. That's a pretty big field if you've got 12 plows running at the same time. So it may have been a wealthy family here. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered it, cooked it, took his plow, cut up the yoke, cut up everything, cut the plow up, all the pieces of wood, cut it all up, built a fire, cooked the ox on that fire, and said, all right, now I'm ready. They had a good party. This is my big day. Now what I want you to see with Elijah right here, imagine how refreshing this was to see this kind of commitment again. You see, God gave him somebody to pour into, and he became, Elijah all of a sudden became the answer to somebody's prayer. Now see, that's a really good day when you figure out that you're working in cooperation with God and you become the answer to somebody's prayer. That's a really good day. Because see, there's somebody on your job right now that's praying for something. There's somebody in your family, there's somebody in your neighborhood, there's people in our church right now that are praying for something. And God may put it upon your heart to become the answer to that person's prayer. That's a good day. <laughs> and Elisha is a reminder of how we should be with our walk with God. The only way you can really serve God right is if you burn your plow and kill your ox. You hear me? Half-hearted Christians don't make disciples. Elisha shows us you got to go all in or else you got to get out. You hear me? So God rescues this man. He rescues him. And my mind races to Jesus. As we bring this idea of rescue to a close, my mind goes to Jesus. You know what the word Jesus means? It means Savior, doesn't it? We wouldn't say Savior in modern day terms. We'd say rescue, the rescuer. 
What God does through Jesus, His specialty, is He rescues us from everything possible. Sin especially, but everything else possible. The Gospels bear this out. That God is a rescuer. And I, you know what I find out with God? That sometimes He rescues people with a strong wind. I, I've got a strong wind story. God put a tornado in my 2014 Dodge Ram and rescued me with a strong wind. I, I, I got a, it's D23 for me. I know I got a strong wind story. But you know what? Some of y'all got a fire story. Some of you got a strong fire story. Some of you got an earthquake story where God just absolutely shook everything in your whole life and boom, and you came out standing and redeemed. And all of us had the gentle whisper story, but what, what am I saying? In order for us to understand God as our rescuer, we need each other. Otherwise, I'm going to keep him in my little box. I'm going to carry him around. He's just going to be my little bit of wind. I got my wind story. But you know how much it enriches our lives? When we connect, I'm not talking about just go to church together. I'm talking about when we connect as the believers, as the body of Christ. When we connect and you bring your fire story, you bring your wind story, you bring your earthquake story. We all bring our gentle whisper story. And we understand that we have a great rescuer among us. And he has rescued every single one of us in different times and seasons. You know how rich that is for a community? So we need each other to know our rescuer. Because Janice's story is different from Sandy's story. It's different from Summer's story. But you know what? It's the same God working all in all for his good pleasure. And when I see her, and when I see him, and when I see her, and I bring it all together, we get this beautiful tapestry of a God who is actively redeeming, rescuing, and restoring every single one of us. Amen. So I, I don't know where, where you're at. Do you need rescue today? That's really what he does. Elijah helps us out a little bit. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for our friend Elijah. More importantly, thank you for your goodness that you extended to him. Because through the witness and the testimony of his rescue, Lord, somehow or another you worked faith in us that we can be rescued. We can be pulled out of that dark hole in that dark place. Whether that hole was created by sin or whether that hole was just created by difficulties and traumas and sometimes it was maybe created by other folks. Whatever it is, you're able to pull us out. So Jesus, do what you, bet, what you do best. Rescue your people.